Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 179 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Uh, so I guess just get this off the chest right off the bat and uh, dressed in casual clothes uh, this morning because uh, we had a break-in at the house last night. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was uh, not, a, not a great feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. So at the at the Sabres Blue Jackets game, night was going great. Sabres won nine to four. Yep, uh, it was a schlacking of the the Blue Jackets by my Buffalo Sabres. But, you avoided uh, the embarrassment of UD. Yes, yeah, UD got got killed last night by, by VT. Yeah, that was bad. But I'm, like I'm sorry 30. to hear the news about your house. Yeah, so it was uh, yeah very uh, unsettling feeling and still kind of is. So uh, yeah, just was dealing with that last night until about four in the morning and just came in. So apologize for the casual dress this morning. Uh, yeah, and I was talking to one of my buddies. I got to maybe give uh, Elon a call and see if he has any uh, security robots going yet that I could buy a couple of those bad boys to have them to run the house. the house. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it happens. But yeah, everyone, everyone's OK and nothing major was was taken. So and I think uh, our, our guard, guard dog, Maple, helped uh, I think she minimize the, the damage. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think she did. <laughs> so shout out to, to Maple. She definitely has loud bark. Yeah, she does. She does. She's uh, she's a sweetheart, but she could be mean when she needs to. That's right. <laughs> Um, so, uh, just wanted to get that out there, uh, before we started, but as always, uh, just wanted to take the first few minutes to recap the, uh, performance for the month in the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on December 7th. Um, this <coughs> data is from Y charts, S and P 500 index, uh, down 3.6% to start the month of December down 17 and percent for the year. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 3% for the month, down 7.5% for the year. NASDAQ Composite Index down 4.4% for the month and down 30% for the year. The iShares Russell 2000 ETF uh, down 4.2% for the month, down 193 for the year. Uh, the uh, uh, Vanguard All World X United States ETF down 1.4% for the month, down 16.5% for the year. Three-month treasury rate at 4.29%, the two-year treasury rate at 4.26%, 10-year treasury rate at 3.42%. It's pretty quiet out there about rates coming down. Yeah, rates have, have crickets quietly come in a little crickets. bit. Yeah, so there's all the pundits about that. I know. Yeah, oh, we only talk about it when it goes up. <laughs> you're not. You're not hearing much about that. So. Um, big headlines, current events uh, from the week. Employment data from November was released last Friday. It showed a uh, positive gain, excuse me, of 263,000 in jobs during the month. Uh, consensus was around adding about 200,000 uh, jobs. Leisure and hospitality added 88,000 jobs and healthcare gains of about 45,000. Uh, most of the jobs obviously came uh, in the leisure and hospitality. Uh, and that was in the food services and drinking places uh, industries. Um, lots of recession talk, Matt, forecasting 
uh, over the past week with a bunch of the major bank CEOs like Jamie Dimon, Solomon, um, predicting a formal one in 2023. I don't think that's any shock to anybody, but um, I, was gonna, I was just going to say that. So how is that news? Yeah, we talked about I talked about this with my brother last night, um, my brothers last night. Um, and it, Ryan asked, he was like, did you see all the bank CEOs talking about recession stuff? And I was like, yeah, I, that's not shouldn't be surprising to anybody. Right. I just go back to this. A lot of that stuff's baked in at this point. It's expected. Right. Right. If we don't go to recession, that's a major catch, catch everyone by su- surprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, last but not least, lots of speculation uh, on the CPI data due out on the 13th this month mm-hmm. um, and the Federal Reserve announcement uh, next week on the 14th. Roger that. Um, moving into uh, tweets, articles and research from this week. Uh, this was an interesting one that gave me a little chuckle, Matt, at the title of this article. is an article written by Ruben Miller on uh, November 15th titled Invest Like a Pigeon. Interesting. So this got my curiosity uh, wheels turning. I bet so, it did. Uh, a couple of things he says here, which I thought was really interesting. He says, wondering why is distinctly human, why you have great vision, why I see, why brains think, why two things might be different, and why the implications of them being different matters. If you're a child sketching dragons or a professional marketer building a brand or Albert Einstein, imagination is key. But consider a radiologist needing to detect cancer tissue from an x-ray so that a patient might undergo a potentially life-saving procedure. What, we, what do we care if the radiologist knows why it's cancer? Legally required medical credentials aside and other roles that radiologists perform notwithstanding, specifically detecting cancer tissue is just one specific task. Detecting cancer tissue, or excuse me, um, and it, so may, it, may, it may not startle you that researchers found pigeons who indeed have great vision and the ability to differenti- differentiate between two things are in fact often better at detecting cancer tissue than radiologists. Their vision is superior to humans and they can be taught to delineate between cancerous and non-cancerous tissue. You're, you're being serious with me. Being dead serious. This, these studies were done. Jenna, what? Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I thought pigeons were kind of dumb, to be honest. Me too. Just They poop everywhere and yes. kind of seem like dumb birds. Yes. Your wife could probably talk about that more. But Yeah. My, uh, for those who don't know, my wife is, an ex, is a hardcore and very serious bird watcher. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, so moving on, uh, he says, since they can be taught to discriminate between tissues and communicate via pecking at a screen... Researchers at the University of Iowa found that they'd rather they're rather remarkable, albeit unaccredited physician assistants, because knowing why, as it pertains to the task, is irrelevant. I thought where you were going with this or the article was going with this is all pattern recognition. Right. That's where I thought you were going. No, with no, this. no. I went in a completely different direction. And we've talked about this before, right? We talked about everyone's so concerned with the why. Why is the market selling off? Right. Why did the market rip to the upside after covid? Why did COVID only last? The market sell-off only lasted a month when, you know, the the wrecking in the world global economy was much longer than that. Everyone's obsessed with the why. And the why doesn't always matter, right? It's Good just, point. we always talk about that, okay, markets are down almost 20% this year. Does, I mean, does it really matter why you, or if you have the real reason? Yeah, it's, it's like, just, you know, you take, this has been a, a negative week for the markets, there's really no new news this week no. at all. There is nothing new in the markets down this week. Mm-hmm. No justification for it, quote unquote. The only for sure thing that we know is 
there's more sellers than buyers this week. That's right? what happened. This year. Yes. Right? Um, so he, he keeps going and says, um, and one impl implication from the radio radiological study is that the human brain works toward casual inferencing, trying to figure out why things are the way they are. Um, you know, doing things, running scenarios, if this, then maybe, probably, potentially that. And because radiologists can start to thread stories, connect hypothetical connections, doubt themselves, imagine, extrapolate, etc., because they are human, it introduces noise into their determinations. They know too much, they think too much, and can get in their own way. As humans, their brains wonder, which is great for living a colorful and purposeful life, but not for detecting cancer tissue. Humans like to be why specialists instead of unimaginative generalists. If you're an artist or creator, great. But when it comes to you as an investor, it's much like reading x-rays. Better to be a pigeon. Stop making casual inferences and playing things out in your head. Just identify your options, design an effective roadmap, and peck uninsp uninspiringly. Like pigeons identifying cancer, you can unlock remarkable wealth by being a human boring investor. Follow your plan, as you always say. Yeah. So I just, you know, I think it was really good on, you know, we talk about this stuff all the time, like I mentioned before. Um, but I just thought that was really interesting uh, to compare it to, to being the likes of, of a pigeon. But I think this year is a perfect example of it. It's like, okay, you know, it doesn't really matter why. I mean, for some people, it does matter why. But for your portfolio, it's like, Okay, markets are down. Your portfolio is down. Um, you know, let's follow our roadmap, keep our plan in place. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if there's more sellers and buyers or if, you know, something happened globally or the inflation numbers were good or they're bad. Data always affects everything and it doesn't really matter what it is. Well said. So, yeah, well said. Uh, next thing I had was an article from Meb Faber titled Sidewalk Money. And I talked about this on our questions with uh, Mark and Matt uh, episode this week, Matt. You did, yeah. Um, but he said one opportunity for clients uh, is to check for any unclaimed property at unclaimed.org. So, you know, now is the time of year where you go through your financial checklist, you yep. do uh, tax loss harvesting, make sure your 401ks are maxed out, you have open enrollment. So it's a good time to go through your financial health checklist, I would say. Sure. Uh, and one thing that I think flies under the radar is is checking for any unclaimed property at unclaimed.org. Um, so this allows people to search for property, uh, although all the way from trust proceeds to dividends check dividend checks, um, deposits for rent to utilities, yep. um, money that's <clears throat> legally uh, people's, but it's just currently sitting in the government's hands because it's been unclaimed. Yeah, they had to turn it over to the state or yeah, correct. Um, and, and I think that's something that, that goes under the radar. And again, it, it could be a couple dollars, could be a couple hundred dollars, but anyway, it doesn't hurt you to take five minutes out of your day and go check. Absolutely. Um, and he said another, uh, potential quick win is for clients to review their subscriptions and services that charge fees from the streaming services they haven't watched all year to, to a credit card they no longer use. Uh, to see if they can all be eliminated. So again, this is just a good time and a reminder to go through your, your financial health checklist at least once per year. Uh, I recommend maybe twice per year. Um, just if you're not, you know, watching your Netflix account or your HBO account, if you haven't watched it in Paramount. half a year, yep. just get rid of it. Yep. Clean up old credit cards, that type of stuff. So uh, good time to, to start to go through some of that stuff. Absolutely. Uh, last thing I had was from our uh, fellow Ohioan Ryan Dietrich titled Five Good Signs for the Bulls in 2023. 
So he starts off by saying, how likely is the S&P 500 to be down two years in a row? The bottom line, it's pretty rare for back-to-back -back year losses, and we don't expect it to happen this time either. In fact, over the past 50 years, it has only happened twice. There was a three-year losing streak after the tech bubble burst in 2001 and 2002, then back-to-back -back losses during the vicious recession of 1973 and 74. So it could happen, but we don't see many similarities between now and those two times, suggesting next year should be a bounce-back year for stocks. Another potential positive is that when the S&P 500 is lower during a midterm year, like we've talked about all year, that's right. the following year has been extremely strong since 1950. The year after a negative midterm year saw the S&P 500 higher all eight times with a very impressive yearly return of 24.6%. And looking at the past 50 years, things are even better as the worst next year was up 26.3%. Um, so Jenna will throw this uh, graphic up on the YouTube channel and show notes, but it just shows the S&P 500 performance after a negative midterm year going back to 1950. I know that we've talked about this several times. I feel like I've repeated this stat several times, but I think it's important to keep people on their game plan. Yes. Um, he also says that pre-election years historically are very strong for stocks. Uh, with S&P 500 up 16.8% on average and higher 88.9% of the time. Midterm years are the worst, which clearly played out this year. Um, so again, we'll have Jenna throw up this graphic of uh, the year three of the presidential cycle, showing that it's typically the strongest out of any given year. I heard this morning on Bloomberg, one of the uh, traditional Wall Street bulls, Jim Paulson, is reiterating a call for a year-end target next year of 5,000 on the S&P 500. Wow. How far is that up from where we are today, percentage-wise, do you know? Uh, no, see if I can it would it be up. definitely mid-double digits, if not higher than that. Yeah, I don't know if my chart goes that high. <laughs> on the, <laughs> might have, it might I'll have to take some time to edit it, but from where we are today, up to my chart's up to 4,800. About 30%. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, yeah, it's about 30%. Another... 1100 points higher from and here. you know that's just one person's opinion yeah but. so again um these years are really hard to sit through you know i'm not gonna uh, belittle that but it's you my know, marathon looking, analogy yeah you know, i just a, think it's that it's a marathon i just think that we're, we're we're in the near end you know the final couple miles of the marathon are not fun mm -hmm. you know and pessimism is extremely high. We've talked so much about that on the, on the podcast. You know, it's going to be one of those things where when it does turn, there will be so much um, untrust, disbelief, doubts about it, that once uh, mainstream embraces it, all the easy money's been made. Yeah. All the easy money's been yeah, made. Yeah, and we see that when it's play comfortable. Out, yeah, we see that play out time and time again yeah. throughout history. That's right. So... Uh, over to you, my friend. All right. First piece, Bespoke Investment Research, December 6th. This piece has to do with the number of down days where the S&P drops by more than 1%. Now, this piece of research um, covers the SPY, which is a very popular ETF uh, that tracks the S&P 500 index. Okay. And this is not a recommendation for or against that ETF. Okay. So here we go. There have been 977 one-day drops in the SPY ETF since it began trading in 1993. 
Uh, yesterday, which in this piece would have, which would have been December 5th, Mark, was the 60th decline of more than 1% for the S&P 500 uh, ETF so far in 2022. Now, Jenna's going to put up this chart. It will also be in our show notes from Bespoke, and it graphically will show you the number of days in a calendar year where SPY dropped by more than 1%. So why am I highlighting this? As you alluded to a couple seconds ago, Mark, it's been a rough year. Mm -hmm. When you look at it historically, what typically follows years or periods like this tends to be commerce C's in the coming year. And you can see that visually on this chart. Mm -hmm. We will see what the next few years bring us. And if history repeats itself, that would be a very good thing for us. Mm -hmm. Usually when investors throw in the towel is when things turn around. I'm picking up that sentiment in the markets is over extreme to the downside. Those are my prepared remarks. Your comments. Yeah, well, yeah. Just looking at the chart, you know, back in 2002, there were 73 1% down days. 2008, there were 78 1% down days. And then followed in, in 2003, uh, pretty much cut in half. And, and, and really the same thing with 09. So typically, you know, high volatility looks like it's followed by lower volatile years compared to the year prior. Again, well, well can said. anything happen? Absolutely. Well but said. with the data that we have, it would seem, and it would be my best guess, that 2023 would be less volatile than it has been this year. I'm just looking at history on that, right? Yep. So next thing is, <clears throat> I'm continuing with Bespoke, and I, I reference Bespoke a lot because it's it's raw data. Mm -hmm. it, it's not... Opinion Opinions. based. It's raw it's data. Not forecasts. So this is an interesting data piece out of Europe, okay? Who's been really struggling. Okay. So this is from also December 5th. So I'm gonna start with my pre-planned comments. It should come as no surprise that sentiment towards both the stock market and the economy are negative. This is especially true in Europe, which is struggling with a war, potential energy shortages, and rampant inflation. But this morning on December 5th, there was a glimmer of light in the darkness. The latest release of their investor sentiment showed that expectations for the European economy improved from a negative 30.9 in November up to negative 21 in December after hitting levels in October not seen since the great financial crisis. Jen is now going to put up this chart. Uh, that shows this um, um, six-month economic expectation index goes all the way back to 2003, Mark. You're going to see how bad it is, and it's starting to improve. So, Mark, as you noted last week, the weakening dollar has propped up some European stocks. Important item to note. Anything that uh, you'd like to discuss on this chart? Not really. I just I, th I think it's important to point out that I think if people think we have it bad here, I think it's really bad in Europe. I think it's really bad because you have worse. to overlay the uncertainty of energy prices, which is just such a hard input to estimate right now. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I think we're a lot more energy independent than people think yes. or that is portrayed on the news. Yes. Um, over there, it's a lot more integrated. They're um, a lot dependent on others. Yeah. So uh, I would just throw that out there that I, you know, relative to the rest of the world, I think we're doing pretty good. I would agree. 
All right, my next piece is uh, I want to have a roundtable on GDP with you, Mark. Love roundtables. Wish I could have a roundtable with the person that broke into my house. Yeah. Sit them down at the table, give them a glass of wine, be like, why did you do this? That would be very interesting. You want to come back and pay for this? <laughs> Spend three hours cleaning up your mess last night? I love it. Yeah. I don't well, let's that. talk about GDP instead. We'll talk about GDP. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, this piece, okay? I have some talking points, and let's go through these. So I'm going to read this verbatim. Here we go. It's a daily update from Argus Research on December 6th. Slight uptick in the GDP outlook. Here we go. The data that has been reported in recent weeks illustrates to us, us being Argus, that key parts of the U.S. GDP are still expanding, despite the impact of inflation, the pandemic, and geopolitical developments. That said, growth is not consistent across all segments of the economy, and a recession is a real risk as the Federal Reserve hikes rates to slow pricing pressures, i.e. inflation. The National Bureau of Economic Research will let us know in a few months if a recession is a go or not. And that's something to, to point out to people is, again, and I know we talked about this before, but th this is this is all backward looking, right? It is backward looking. Um, so we never know. We're in quote, one. Unquote, we're in one until we're months down the road, years it, down the road. Well, well brought up. Thank you. Based on our review of the latest economic fundamentals, our forecast for GDP growth in 2022 is now a positive 0.8%. That's up from their prior forecast of 0.7%. In 2023, we look for the first quarter to start at a negative rate, but then for the economy to improve as the year goes on. Our estimate for the full year 2023 remains a positive 1.3%. The U.S. Federal Reserve is combating inflation with aggressive rate hikes. Our concern is that the central bank is raising rates too quickly, and it will send the U.S. economy into recession in 2023. If that's the case, we expect to see unemployment rate head higher toward 6% over the next few quarters. Our GDP estimates are generally in the range with other forecasters. The Federal Reserve is now anticipating GDP growth of positive 0.2% for 2022, while the IMF is calling for 2022 growth of 1.6. The Philadelphia Federal Reserve Survey of Professional Forecasters, how do you get on that list, by the way, yeah, is calling for growth of 1.6% in 2022, positive 1.3. Professional, it's funny. Professional forecasters. Professional, that's why I had to throw that out My there. dog can be a professional forecaster. <laughs> It's like this. a monkey throwing a dart at the dartboard. I knew this would get a go in Jetta. 1.3% in 2023. The GDP now forecast for the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta is positive 2.8% for the fourth quarter of this year. And guess year. what? I bet you none of them are going to be right. Um, well, someone's, someone's going to be right on that because some people are calling for flat. Some are calling 1.6%. Someone's going to be right on that. So here's my talking points. My first thing is. It's going to be somewhere between negative 10% and positive 10%. <laughs> it will. <laughs> it most likely will definitely be in that range. So my first talking point, and we'll see what you have to say to this is, we will see, uh, I'm sorry, will we see as many layoffs as economists are predicting? For the first six months of next year, it's a pretty high figure. I think the average Wall Street analyst is calling for an average of losses, somewhere between 150 to 200,000 jobs per month for the first six months of next year. Your response? Yeah, well, I think it's important for people to understand that this environment that we're in is, is it's, it's weird, right? It's the Fed is looking for, to, to slow their rate hikes, the Fed is looking for unemployment to increase um, 
They're looking for more job losses. And when we continue to have strong employment numbers, that is incentivizing the Fed to keep raising rates. And I know that sounds crazy, right? That sounds true. like Mark's a little nuts. It's true. That no, it's they true. think this way, right? And in fact, Powell's come out and said it. But they are looking for weak economic data, especially employment data. So they want to drive the unemployment number up. So you have this weird dynamic in the market right now where good news is bad news and bad news is is good news because everyone when the jobs report comes out they want to see it be pretty weak so that the fed doesn't have to raise as aggressively if that makes sense for people yes um now the labor market has continued to shock economists and forecasters with how strong it's been i think so I don't know. Does the unemployment rate reach 6%? I don't know. You would think eventually maybe if the Fed keeps on their rate hiking campaign, but I, I, I don't know. It's it's going to be very interesting. So for me, point number one is Wall Street is expecting this, and that is baked into expectations. So in my opinion, the opportunity is is a positive surprise where you don't see as many of these job losses because I'm contending that employers have learned, and I've said this many times in the podcast, if you talk to business owners, they learned a very valuable lesson when COVID hit. The days of laying people off and bringing them back on six months later to control your P&L, at least for the foreseeable future, those days are done. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're an employer and you're going to start looking at it through this lens and say, okay, I might go through a three to six month period where I'm carrying more workers than I need. But when it turns, I need those people. I'm going to have to carry them on payroll. Right. And so I really question the amount of layoffs that you're going to see the first six months of next year. You will see negative job numbers. I feel positive about that prediction. So when you see those numbers, listeners and viewers, don't be surprised. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I think ultimately, I think the Fed's going to have to continue to... Uh, fight inflation by not focusing as much on the employment side. We got to look at these inflation numbers on PCE and CPI. And I think that's why it's so important. Right. And that's what, you know, it's kind of funny, but uh, Nick in our office, you know, whenever we're doing stuff and it's not something that needs to be done right now, he's always like, that's a, that's a future Nick problem. And that's how the, employment is a future fed problem yeah, yeah. they're not they don't care about employment right not right now, now. no they, they have, a dual they have inflation that's the only thing they have that's a dual mandate and they are they got the they got the horse blinders on baby yeah so yeah it's gonna they, be they, they are they are they are a surgeon who is chopping a lot right now yeah okay? yeah all right here's my next point i got two more i don't see many research shops saying this quote right now and i'm gonna say it again to you you i'm gonna read the sentence okay this is an important one. Let me get this right here. Quote, the U.S. Federal Reserve is combating inflation with aggressive rate hikes. Our concern is that the central bank is raising rates too quickly and will send the U.S. economy into a recession in 2023. End quote. Okay. How many, how many research shops are saying that? You're usually hearing the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so the point I'm making on this is, if everyone is on one side saying the Fed's got to do more, Fed's got to do more, and everyone is, is invested and positioned with that thesis, the minute you start to see the Fed slow the pace of rate hikes, 
it's going to be like an alarm went off in the trading room. Mm -hmm. That's that's the point I want to make with this. Your comment. Yeah. And I, it can go both ways, too. Right. Because Powell kind of alluded to the fact that it was going to be 50 basis points in December. If it's higher than that, then markets are not going to like that. But if it's lower than that or if it's 50 bips, then things could be pretty good. Um, but, yeah, that's interesting. I don't I don't know. I don't know how that works with, you know, research shops and having access to the, the Fed. Is it like, you know, research analysts with, you know, Apple or Amazon, they don't want to put a sell target on one of those names because then they lose access to the, the investing uh, yeah, business. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's why you got to kind of discount the uh, sell side research. Right, you don't want to you don't wanna piss people <laughs> off too much, but you want to. Maybe that's another reason. Argus is a buy side research firm, so they don't have to. <laughs> right. They don't have to pay. They have no. They have no uh, loyalty to. Yeah. To make anybody happy. Yeah. All right, and then so my my last uh, comment, my roundtable is, Mark, how much of these recession fears are already priced into stocks? <sighs> it's always tough to tell, but. Again, being a historian of, of markets, I, or I like to think of myself of that, is that, you know, markets price stuff in anywhere from three to six to 12 months down the road, depending on which environment that you're in. Um, and I think a lot of that, that's what we've, that's what we've seen this year. I think we're going to look back on 2022 and say, hey, you know, the market sucked. The economy was still hanging in there. Okay. And then in in 2023, the economy looked pretty bad, but the market was up, whatever, right? I think it could, it's lining up to be one of those years. Um, but if you want my opinion, which the market doesn't care about, uh, I think a lot of it is already priced in. And I think we're, we're closer to the end than, than people think. And we're, we're almost at the, the effort point, I think. I think if we have one more good flush or yes. sell off, yes. people, you're going to have people that are like, I'm done. Get, I'm done. I can't handle it anymore. Yes. And that's when the turning point is going to be. And you noted that in last week's podcast, you talked about how looking at history and you look at bottoming processes, historically, it's not uncommon to see kind of the worst flush or the worst kind of downside at the very, very tail end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're the thirds, right? Yep. The, the last third tends to be tends to be bad. And have we already seen that? I, I don't know. Maybe we have. But if we haven't, then. We could we could go lower before we go higher. But. Yeah, and the last comment I want to make when you say that is, if if you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching us right now on YouTube, and you're thinking that you are really really concerned about where stocks are going to be the next two to four weeks, your goals and objectives and how you're invested, there's a misalignment with mm -hmm. that, right? Yeah, because you know when you're investing in equities, you need to have a long term time horizon. Mm -hmm. And associated with that is when you look at a market cycle, which can be, you know, arguably five to seven years is a market cycle. You're probably going to do just fine in the markets, mm -hmm. but you're going to have years like this. Right. But you've got to stay invested to achieve those longer term averages. Yeah. So, again, I know that the news media wants us to be captivated on every headline and what the market's doing this week and what's my account balance. Most people that are listening to this podcast and watching us on YouTube don't have money in the markets that they need in two weeks or mm -hmm. four weeks or a month or a quarter or six months. All right. I just want to bring back that focus as to why we do this. Yeah. And it's, you know, 
it, it seems fine and fine and dandy and people think that they can handle it when you're in good times in the market and you're and you talk and say hey you know once every five years you get a pretty bad flush in the market but it just it feels and hits different for a lot of people when you're in that once in five year period and we're Absolutely. in that i really truly believe we're in that now yes I, and, I agree. And again, you know, we're going to be having the same conversation at some point in the next five to 10 years. We I, will. We'll reference these times. I'm not going to use hey, the G go. word, but I I can bet bet a lot of money that over the next five to 10 years, we'll have something just like this. It'll be for a different reason. Yes. Markets will be volatile. It'll be crazy. But again, that happens a lot less than the Contra. Yeah. And, and my final comment is. If you're sitting there thinking that you can time this market, you are sorely mistaken. And I've said this multiple times the past several months. This is a market that you invest for your time horizon, goals, and objectives. You don't try to time it. It's a widowmaker's market. So this is a market where you got to stay patient and stay invested. I'm not an advocate right now for having tons and tons of cash on the sidelines and saying, well, I'm going to invest when I think things are better. I just want to mark my words on that. It's just, you know, we're going to be sitting here, I think, sometime in 23. And I think things are going to start to look a lot better. The Main Street America is going to lag a little bit. And I've talked about that, too. But, you know, by the time it's going to feel comfortable again for this market, all the easy money is going to be made. Yeah, I agree. Uh, before we transition to the financial planning topic of the week, Mark, and Taylor's going to handle that for us. Anything you would like to leave our listeners or viewers with before Taylor comes on? Yeah, just really quick. Um, typically, the first couple of days of December tend to be positive, and I think they were for the most part. And then, you know, this period we're in right now tends to be weak, like from a couple of days ago until the middle of the month, 15th, 16th, 17th. And then on average, things get better as we get into the Santa Claus rally and get closer to the end of the year. That's on average, it's nice hopefully. to be a little melt up into the end of the year. So, um, I would say that that's the base case for the end of the year. Um, and, and we'll see, uh, what we ring in the new year with and, and what we have in store for, for 2023. Great. So. Well, Mark, uh, our chief investment officer, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Taylor's going to be in. So, uh, Taylor Ledbetter, uh, she's a wealth advisor with our firm. Uh, she handles a lot of our clients, uh, financial planning calculations and advice on that end. Uh, welcome Taylor. Hi, it's good to be back. It's been a little bit. It has been a little bit. Yeah, Mark and I have, um, it's been fun because we went there about a four, six week period where Mark and I really didn't see each other. And then we went the last couple of weeks, you know, back in the saddle together, which it's been fun, but it's nice to have you back. Mm -hmm. So uh, what is the topic that you selected this week? Yeah, so today I'm going to be talking about gift tax. Okay. Because I think that sometimes there might be a misconception that you automatically owe tax on everything I you get. I agree with you. Yeah, because I get questions about this sometimes. Yes, you do. not talked about too much, so. This will be a good one. All right, I'm ready. Yeah, so in 2022, you can gift up to $16,000 per recipient. And in 2023, you can gift up to 17,000 before the IRS requires you to file a gift tax return. Okay. So for an example, I can give $16,000 each to five different people and there's no gift tax due and there's no requirement to file a gift tax return either. Okay. But 
if you gift over that annual limit, say you give $20,000 a piece to five different people, that's when you have to file a gift tax return because you're over that annual limit. Yes, correct. Um, but even though you're over that annual limit, you still don't have any gift tax due. That's where mm -hmm. the, the misperceptions start to really come in, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing, it's called the lifetime exclusion or the lifetime exemption. Mm -hmm. And it's the total amount you can give over the course of your life without having to pay any gift tax. So that amount for 2022 is 12.06 million. Mm -hmm. so high number. Yeah, so you can give, as of this year, $12 million over the course of your life, and there's still no gift tax due. Correct. It's probably the highest number we've ever had, or had in a while at least. Correct. So just to kind of further talk about the lifetime exclusion, um, let's say an individual gave $100,000 to five people, so $20,000 each. Now, because that person would be over the mm -hmm. annual limit, the total amount given is not, um, in, sorry, the total amount given is not excluded and reduces the lifetime exemption amount. So after making these gifts, the taxpayer's lifetime exemption would go from 12.06 down to 12.04. Got it. But you're not paying any tax at that time. You're just mm -hmm. notifying the government, hey, I did this. I'm lowering what's what I can give the rest mm -hmm. of my life without any tax. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, without really doing any research on it, you would think, oh, if you go over the limit, you automatically owe tax. Not true. Mm -hmm. Yep. Nope. Not true. And um, gift tax, it's applied on a sliding scale, kind of like ordinary income taxes. Yep. It's progressive. Yes. Um, so with gift tax, it depends on the size of the gift being given. Um, kind of like if your income increases, you might go up in a tax bracket. A higher one. It works the same way. Yep. So the gift tax ranges from 18% all the way up to 40%. Mm -hmm. So a little bit higher than ordinary income tax rates. Oh, yeah. Now, some special considerations is that some types of tra transfers are actually exempt from gift tax regardless of the amount given. So, for example, say you want to pay for your child's tuition. Say that bill might be $30,000 or hi hypothetically. Okay. Um, if you pay money directly to the college... It's not considered a gift if it's paid directly to the, the institution. institution. Mm -hmm. Okay. And another exemption would be paying for medical expenses. So if you pay for um, a family member's or a friend's medical expenses, as long as it's paid directly to the hospital. They would not clarify that as a gift. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then a couple other exemptions would be any gifts to your spouse. That doesn't... You can give an unlimited amount to your spouse. Exactly. Yes. Um, or gifts to a political organization. Of course they threw that in <laughs> right. there. Right. Of course. Had to be in there. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like uh, when they came out with like the do not call list. Oh, but it doesn't apply to political organizations. It's like, exactly. oh, come on. <laughs> um, and something else, and I don't think this is talked about too much. It's called gift splitting. Mm. 
Have you heard of this before? Um, I think I know where you're going, but I didn't know it had a formal term, which is interesting mm -hmm. to me. Yep. So this applies to married individuals. Mm -hmm. So if you're married, you can elect what's called gift splitting with your spouse. Um, and this raises the maximum annual amount from $16,000 to $32,000. So like, for example, my wife, me and Rachel, we can both give 16000 to one individual and still not have to file a tax return on that. Correct. But if you elect gift splitting, it could be 32000 Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yep. yeah. Um, so yeah, all you would have to do is obviously notify your CPA of that because mm -hmm. you would have to elect it on your on your tax return. Got it. Okay. But it's an interesting concept because that's double the amount of the annual limit. That's yep. a lot more. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. But this is I think a very misunderstood topic, Taylor. Um, I would encourage, you know, listeners or viewers, if you have additional questions regarding regarding the gift tax, you can reach out to Taylor uh, at the firm directly. Uh, any other comments regarding this topic you'd like to share? Um, no, just try to keep it very simple, yeah. to the point, basic. <laughs> it was good. No, it was great. So um, before we sign off, anything about the markets that you'd like to share? No, I'm just ready to see everything turn around. I'm ready to close this year out, <laughs> yeah. aren't you? Yeah, this week hasn't been too, not the worst week we've had this year. Yes, hasn't been friendly either. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will leave it there. Thank you for uh, listening to episode number 179 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Uh, myself, Mark, and Taylor hope all of you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.